0: If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 this morning. We're going to jump out of Luke and take the opportunity to see why it is that we as God's people have all reason to give thanks. This is a wonderful time of year, a wonderful time where we do rejoice, we do give thanks for all that God has given to us. And so this morning we are going to be exhorted along these lines that we truly would be the people who give thanks because of all people we're the ones who should be giving thanks 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 we're just going to be looking at verses 16 through 18 Father we praise you and we look to you to supply all that we need this morning work mightily in and through your word by the spirit Oh, Lord, that we would be, truly be, a people who rejoice, a people who give thanks, a people who seek you in prayer, that this would mark us, that this would be an identity marker of those of us who trust you and look to you. Help us, Lord, to see, help us to understand, help us to know what this means, and that this would be a definite, rich, rich, an abiding part of our lives, for we ask this in Christ. Amen. Well, this truly is the time of year that we are supposed to say, Hey, listen, you've been given a ton. Give thanks. We're supposed to feast and rejoice and give thanks and enjoy the bounty that God has brought in. It's even fitting, I like how it comes at the, at the, at the particular time and season because we've had such a marvelous exposure to god's goodness especially if you we're not farmers i don't think anybody here is a farmer would claim to be one but if you're a farmer you really get this because you plant seeds in hope you plant them in hope because all they are are seeds and they got to go into the ground and they've got to die And they've got to die, and then they've got to sprout up, and then they've got to be protected, and then they've got to be nourished, and then they've got to be guided and helped along as they grow up into full maturity and bear fruit. And then this fruit comes to full fruition, and you harvest the fruit, and you take it in, and you receive the bounty of it. And so with farming, what you do is you plant in hope. You don't see anything but dirt and death in the spring, and then you receive the bounty in the fall. And you see all that God has provided and the colors and the flavors and the delights that are, are for us to enjoy. And God has given us so much. It's just a wonderful picture of how God faithfully, year in, year out, supplies all our needs. And not just our needs. He isn't just frugal and since gives a little bit. He gives us bounty. A super abundance. And I don't know if you're all like me, you feasted on Thursday. You all feast. And you feasted and you, th- you ate until you were completely full. In some cases, absolutely stuffed. Just like your cur- turkey was. And it was a wonderful occasion. A wonderful experience. And all because God is good. All because of he- his faithfulness and his goodness towards you. But here this morning, what we're going to probably discover for every single one of us, is that you're you're not nearly as thankful as you ought to be. You're probably not near as thankful as you wish you were, actually. If you're at all like me, you look at yourself and you look at your thankfulness and you're almost frustrated by your own lack of thankfulness. Man, what's wrong with me? I should be so much more thankful. So much more grateful for all that I have. And so we need times, times and seasons to help us regain perspective. Help us to to get my mind fixed on what truly is good. Truly is good about God and truly is coming our way and blessing toward us so that I can then, in in turn, be more thankful. And that's what I hope to do this morning. I hope that all of us, when we leave here, will be much more thankful because we've been given so much. So pay attention this morning. If you want to be more thankful, pay attention. And, and if you're not interested in being more thankful, pay attention. Because everybody will know you're not interested in being more thankful. It's peer pressure. And so with that, I want us to turn our attention to the passage and see what the exhortation is from God's word to his people and it's, it's a very famous passage, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. And here is how it reads. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks. I'm so used to another translation. It says in everything give thanks. But it says give thanks, and I kind of like this. In all circumstances. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So the very first thing we're exhorted to do in this passage is what? He says, Rejoice always. Now obviously when we hear that statement, we might want to bristle and say, Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Rejoice always? Always? Do you live on earth? What planet are you from? Rejoice always. This doesn't make any sense. How or even why would somebody want to rejoice always? You'd end up going through life looking like a little puppy golden retriever. Bouncing around. What are you doing? Just rejoicing always. Life is so good. Yet, I don't think this is actually what Paul means in a in, in strict sense. Every single minute of the day, without exception, what are you to be doing all the time, rejoicing always? And here's why I don't think he means this. How can the guy who says this, rejoice always, also say that we are to weep with those who weep? Romans chapter 12? Or how can he say in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 4 that I wrote to you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears? Clearly there's no rejoicing in those texts. There's no rejoicing in those times of our lives. Or how could James say that that we should weep mourn, and wail over our sin. We aren't to go on rejoicing. He doesn't say rejoice. Who cares if you sin? Just rejoice always. No, he says we're to weep, mourn, and wail. Everything isn't just fine. Clearly the Bible reveals to us that there are times when we should be grieved, when we should be mourning, when we should be distressed, and when we should have sorrow. But the Bible doesn't back away from the other emotions. And so, what is Paul saying? We clearly know, don't we? That you know our heart should break when we see suffering. We should grieve when others suffer loss. We should mourn when we experience death of a loved one. There are times when we should truly sorrow. It should be obvious that there indeed are times and seasons in life and season in life when we should not be rejoicing. So what is Paul talking about then? I truly believe what Paul is talking about here is using hyperbole to get a point across. And it's this is the point. Paul means that we should, under normal circumstances, be rejoicing as a general rule. This should be the general disposition of a Christian, other than the times in their lives for specific circumstances and cases where there's good reason not to be rejoicing. Or to put it another way, we should rejoice so much that we could be accused of of being the person who rejoices always. Just like someone might say, have you heard this said before? They're always happy. Do they mean by that statement that person every single minute without exception, day in, day out, is happy? No, what they mean is it's just the general disposition. Generally speaking, right? Given normal circumstances, that person's happy. This is what Paul's saying. Generally speaking, given normal circumstances, you should be rejoicing always. But perhaps you're sitting here and you're doubting. And you're more that person who thinks, you know, that's just, this is really just a matter of personality. You know, some people are the happy types. And then you got some people, they're the grumpy types. It's just the way they are. It's more of a matter of nature than nurture people's dispositions its personality and as as a matter of fact there's there is there's some truth to this in the sense that some people what are they they always see the glass half full right that's a common expression and some people always see that glass half empty Now there is some truth to this, but really what we're even even think what we're saying in that statement. What it's about, our disposition is mostly about our perspective. How do you see the glass? And that's really what it comes down to is perspective. Some people see things and when they see them, they see them in a negative light. Some people see things, and when they see them, they see them in a positive light. But why should one see them in a positive light, and why should one see them in a negative light? Is it just the way you are? Can't help it. This is just who I am. I don't believe so. Because when events happen in our lives, things happen in our lives, we can either believe one thing about them or believe another thing about them. If we are people who are God's people and we're living in a world that we believe God ordains all that comes to pass, if we live in the world and we are to live and walk and move and have our being in the Lord, if we're to walk by faith, what does walking by faith mean but to look at what happens in life and see the glass as the glass that God has poured as the glass that he has given you, as the glass that is for you and is for your good. God, in in our lives, ordains what comes into our lives, and he has said this to you, my people, hear me. My people, hear me. The events in your life are coming into your life through my hands, and every one of them are for your good they're for your good now our God has spoken and he's told us there in that statement how it is we are to see the glass so Christians have said listen listen my children all circumstances all things that come into your life are there and they're there for your good This is why the Christian can view life a certain way, and because they view life a certain way, they have a certain perspective, and therefore now they're able to rejoice always. Even if you look in 1 Thessalonians, the context of this book, he's trying to comfort and reassure the Christians. And in chapter 5, verse verse 9, even even the, the, the perspective of the end and how that's to work, he says, "...for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation." through our lord jesus christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep we might live with him therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing so perspective right god's not destined you for wrath for salvation in the lord jesus christ and all that he's done for you have that perspective and with that perspective this is why christians of all people can rejoice always Paul in Philippians chapter 4 verse 4 says rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice notice that he exhorts that rejoicing to be in the Lord rejoice in the Lord always when how often always now he doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances whatever they are just rejoice in them he says rejoice in the Lord Rejoice in the Lord always. And just so you think that Paul isn't like creating some spiritual ideal that it's just not even possible, this guy must be crazy, just look at how he lived this out. In Acts 16, he and Silas were beaten with rods to the point of death and thrown in prison. Do you know what they were doing that night? The text says At midnight, they were praying and singing praises to God. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. They were just falsely, unjustly, wickedly beaten to death, thrown in prison. And what's their response? To be praying and rejoicing and praising God is Paul brain damaged? Maybe they hit him with a rod in the wrong place. What's that all about? You know what they're doing is they're rejoicing in faith because they truly believe what Jesus said in Matthew 5:10 through 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. That is why Paul and Silas could rejoice, because they believed the promise. It was by faith, living by faith. How did they see circumstances in their lives through what lens did they see it through the promise of God so that event was interpreted and understood through what God had already said to them this is working out for your good this is working out for a great reward on your behalf and you truly are blessed that's how God has spoken to the circumstance Paul saw it and believed that word and then could rejoice So why can you rejoice always? Because everything in your life, no matter what, always, all things are happening for your good. God is blessing you even in the worst of circumstances. But apart from faith, you cannot rejoice. Only by faith can you look and believe the promise of God and have all the reason in the world to rejoice. But not only are we to rejoice always, but it also says that it's God's will for us that we pray always. He actually says, pray without ceasing, which is the same thing. Now, I I don't know about you, but that sounds like a good way to cause some spiritual depression. Just tell somebody to pray without ceasing. It's already difficult sometimes, maybe in your life, to pray two or three times a day. Just get up in the morning, I pray, get me through the day, I pray, and at mealtime, I pray, and perhaps you pray before you go to bed. That's a, that alone is, is, you feel like that's a, that's a lot of praying for you. So now he goes and he ups the ante, he says, pray without ceasing. Nice. Now I can see myself as a total and complete failure, and measure myself against that statter, and all I want to do is Quit. I'm struggling here, and now you raise the bar here. It's like I can barely jump over a three-foot bar, and now you raise it to 10 feet. Nice. Am I going to tempt? No, I'm just going to quit. And now that I quit, I'm, I'm, I have the guilt and the shame of knowing that I ought to, and I'm not doing it, and so now I might as well just go crawl in bed and suck my thumb because uh, <laughs> what's the point? But that's not the appropriate way to think about what Paul is saying here. The way to understand this is like the rejoicing part. Paul doesn't mean that we should pray every single moment without exception and every minutiae all the time. You know, there's a sense in which you, know, you can't even really talk because you've got to be praying. You can't, you can't live or do anything because you've got to be praying. And, because, and the thing we have to understand is that this is how hyperbole works. It's a very effective tool to get people to awaken them, to under, help them to understand something. So you, you say it in an extreme way. Pray without ceasing. What it really means is you should be praying continually throughout the day, not just at mealtimes or just not every now and then. You should, be, you should be a prayerful person. We should make it a habit to pray for others when we're around them. To pray for every situation that we walk into. To pray for our safety. To pray for others' safety. To pray for, pray for our deliverance from the evil one. To pray for others' deliverance from the evil one. To pray for uh, the things we see on our Facebook feed. Because you're constantly getting reminders, if you really look at it, of all the things you need to pray for. Oh, I need to pray for that person, clearly. Um, I, I need to pray for... Mm, our government clearly I need to pray for this situation that circumstance it's just we're constantly getting feedback into our system that tells us it says you should probably be praying because as you'll notice throughout the day there are oodles of needs being presented to you there are situations that are beyond your control There's wisdom that is needed that you don't have. There's strength that you need that you don't have. There's help that you need that you don't have. There's deliverance, perhaps, that you need. There's the needs of others around you that need to be prayed about, all of them. Just think about what we talked about in regard to rejoicing and bring that into the picture. So not only are there needs all over the place, but we just finished hearing that we're to be rejoicing always. There's all kinds of things that God has done for you, is doing for you, and is going to do for you that require all kinds of rejoicing and praise. And when you're rejoicing, it's a way of praying. In your praying, praise and rejoicing, just as we read, this was read this morning for us in Psalm 96, should be a massive portion of our praying. So these things aren't actually separated. They're, they come from the same root produce perhaps a little bit different fruit but rejoicing always and praying without ceasing are good our good handmates they go together and you know god isn't concerned if you might be sitting here and you think "Well, i don't even, sometimes don't even know how to pray or what to pray don't worry about being complex sometimes a two-word god help is sufficient Father, please be merciful. Oh, that I would have wisdom, have your wisdom. Can you all do that? Do you you ever have a need? And do you know how to express that need? Well, then you know how to pray. You're a prayer warrior. If there are needs around you, if there's something to praise around you, if there's a reason to rejoice around you, well, then you're, you're hooked up. You got all you need. It's really simple. You could be driving down the road and say, Father, I just thank you that you're protecting me right now, and I I pray that you protect me and and everybody around me, that all of us on the road right now be protected. That's a glorious prayer. It's that kind of living, that kind of functioning. That's what praying without ceasing means. You've got to get into the habit of walking through life and, and seeing the events and circumstances of life as cues to pray, as reasons to pray. Because all around you there's needs. And God delights, he delights in his people who stand in the gap for other people. That is his delight. When Even when God wants to, bring, wants to bring judgment on a people and he's going to pour out his wrath, when someone stands up, even like Moses, do you realize he delighted in Moses every time he stood up on Israel's behalf? He said, oh Lord, please have mercy on these people. Remember your covenant. And God would relent. He'd listen to Moses. So there's all kinds of stuff happening around us, and God delights in His people standing up for other people and the needs and situations around them. And you know what? We really do need to cultivate just the habit, the reflex of doing this. This isn't something. If we, you here today, pray without ceasing, you leave. Or I'm just going to instantly. Oh, I heard this sermon. Dean said pray without ceasing, and then, I, well, that's what the, God's Word says. So I just started praying without ceasing. It was that easy. Well, that's a joke if you live the Christian life not uh, for very long because you've heard this before. And the only thing that's going to change is as we, just, we realize that like everything else in life, you've got to make steps of progress. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep moving. Your goal is to be to get to the point where you're praying without ceasing. But just because you're not and just because you're way down here, don't go, oh, I suck. I lose. I just should just quit right now that no you kidding just keep moving keep just just grow in it say you know what i'm looking forward to the next 20 30 40 years whatever god gives me just to continue to grow in it one day i know by faith i know that god is going to help me and i'll get there and i'll be a person who prays without ceasing well how will that happen just one little bit at a time I just don't give up. I know what the journey's like. I know it's long. I know that it's a step-by-step process. I know that I might make little gains. I know that I fall back. I know that I stumble. I know that I trip. I know the game. I know how it works. And because I know it, I enter into it and I walk knowing that, you know what? I pray better and different now than I did 20 years ago. Praise be to God. I pray much more. Praise be to God. Not only that, but I want you to think of this. When you were anxious, fretting, or worried, did you ever get like that? Nah, not, no one here No one here ever frets, ever worries about anything. You know, no anxiety whatsoever, right? Well, I just want you to realize that the fretting, the worrying, the stressing according to Paul, is a really good reason to remind you what I ought to do. Pray. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, he says, just after telling them to rejoice always, and again I say rejoice, he says, be anxious for nothing. Now he's not saying, notice what he's not saying. Don't ever be anxious, and if you are anxious, you ever get anxious, well that's a sin and you need to repent. What he's saying is, like, this, the, the construction of it, be anxious for nothing, is one of, like, don't stay in a state of continuous, active anxiety. Instead, he tells them what to do with it. Be anxious for nothing. Instead, this is what you should do. Don't stay in your anxiety. This is what you should do. What should I do? Then everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, there's something important about this, because in our praying, he doesn't just say, just pray about it and then pick it back up and start worrying about it again. Oh, God, take this away, and, I, and you hold on to it. The idea is you take your stress, your worry, your anxiety, whatever it is, and let that be a cue, go to God with it, explain it to him, tell it to him what you're experiencing and feeling, and then what you have to do is it needs to be filled with thanksgiving, he says. Thank him, thank him in faith, that he is going to take care of that for you. I thank you. I leave this with you, Father, and I thank you and I praise you and I rejoice in your grace because you are going to take care of this for me. That's the only kind of prayer that's ever going to reproduce the fruit that he says at the end, which, you know, will give you, if you do this, it will give you a peace that surpasses understanding. So how should you pray? without ceasing. What does he mean? Just you know, whenever all the, as much as you can and grow in that. To get to the point where you're praying prayer is just something you do as you go through life. But this also leads to the last thing this passage directs us to. And that is that we are to give thanks always. This trifecta here of rejoice always Pray without ceasing and in all circumstances give thanks. Now, it's interesting. What's interesting is that he says in this text in the ESV all circumstances. Now, what this means is all circumstances. Everything, top to bottom. Now, that seems a little bit odd, actually. Give thanks for like, everything? All circumstances? Now, Paul, do you understand that in life there's good circumstances and there's bad circumstances? And you're telling me that not just the good circumstances, but in the bad ones, that I'm to give thanks? Paul would look you straight and now he says, absolutely. Yes. It seems strange. But again, what does this require? It requires perspective. Just like I said about the rejoicing. You might not like or enjoy something, but you can still be thankful for it if you understand it correctly. For example, you might not like the fact that you need ankle surgery. You might not like the fact that it's all busted up and doesn't work right, but you can you can sure be thankful. Thankful for surgeons, thankful for surgery, and thankful that, you know, that you'll probably have your, hopefully have your ankle back that you can use. What allows you to be thankful? It's the perspective of it. You're not saying, oh, I just thank, thank you, Lord, that this hurts like crazy. Thank you that I can't stand my life right now. You know, no, that's not, that's not what you're thankful for. Again, it's perspective. What are you thankful for? There's a, something in it that you can be thankful for. And this is with all circumstances. It's not always, you know, like, oh, I'm just being thankful to be thankful. Why? God said to be thankful. So, you know, you know I got hit in the face the other day. I'm just so thankful. Just, you know, love it. It's like, yeah, let me, you punch yourself in the face and you're just so thankful for the pain it causes. Yeah, that's not what he's saying here. But there could, because there's a perspective. There, we have a, if we have a reason to be thankful, we will be thankful. As long as that reason makes sense. And that's what gives us perspective. You know, bad circumstances in our lives, they happen. Stuff is going to happen in our lives. God's going to bring events into our lives. It's no fun. It's no good. And by all accounts, it's what you call bad. I don't like that. It's painful. It's hard. Difficult. And please remove it. Paul prayed three times, the thorn in the flesh would be removed. He obviously didn't like that. It wasn't something he enjoyed. But that the Lord, the Lord what did the Lord offer him? Perspective. Helped him to see why he could give thanks. And now he rejoice, rejoices in his weakness. Because he realized that in this weakness is when God's grace would show up and be sufficient for him. And when he realized that God's grace and his power was made manifest in his weakness, it gave him perspective, and he saw the event as he should see it, and he was able to give thanks for it. You know, God God gives us a promise, right? Promises, multiple promises about the events in our lives. One of the greatest promises that we have is Romans 8:28, knowing that all things work together for, for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's a famous verse. If you don't know it, memorize it, get it in your bloodstream, and just quote it all day long. Because God works all things together for good. those who love him and are called according to his purpose all things that means everything all that means every single circumstance is bad and good he's working it for your good this means that when you face horrible circumstances that horrible circumstance is for your good therefore you can give thanks for it not because it hurts not because it's painful not because you like it but because what is god is doing in it That's giving thanks by faith, knowing what God is doing in it. But you have to believe his promise. Not only that, we know that God has also promised, as we read in Matthew, that that there's a great reward, a great blessing for suffering. Suffering is one in his name, one who believes and and even offers their suffering up to the Lord. Lord, I know that this circumstance, situation in my life that I'm going through is from your hand. And I know you're going to do good from it. I know you're going to bring blessing from it because you've promised. And when we have that kind of perspective, it changes everything. It's the perspective that allows us to get out of grumbling and complaining and move towards thanksgiving. Because if what's happening to you is bad up and down and sideways, it's bad. And to be thankful for that is stupid. That's insanity. But if what is happening to you is from God, and he says, yes, it's a bad circumstance, but I'm working all that out for your good and for your blessing and for your great eternal reward, then all of a sudden that bad circumstance can can be good. And we'll be thankful for it. And praise God for it. Again, it's all about perspective. Just think of what we do. What we do as humans. We're crazy sometimes. Because we will inflict pain and punishment upon ourselves. For small rewards. Just look at what we will do. If you want to get skinny or thinner. You want to get stronger or leaner guess what you'll do? Well, you will starve yourself. You will you inflict all kinds of pain on yourself. You'll go to the gym and put on these big weights, and you'll start pushing them around, and, and, and you can barely walk the next day. And it's like, that, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was so awesome about it? Because in your mind, you believe you're getting bigger, stronger, faster, leaner, skinnier, and it's all worth it. But what a fading reward. Here today, gone tomorrow. You could invest, and not to discourage you from your plans and programs for bodily development, but you could invest 10, 15 years of faithfully giving yourself to it. And boy, you've achieved your result, and you have an injury, and it knocks you out for a few weeks, a month or two, and you want to see how fast that goes away? And you're thinking, all that work all that toil all that pain and i'm so far back now i don't know if i'm i want to get back on that treadmill and go again because it's a lot of work it's a lot of sacrifice it's a lot of pain for what for gain we will embrace pain and we will be thankful for it if it produces the right amount of gain that's the way we are as people it's never about pain isn't a problem discomfort Sorrow, like we'll we'll walk right into it if it means I get gain. But you know what that requires? A faith. You, it's perspective. You believe the the pain will produce the gain, and so now you're willing to walk that path. You will boldly walk that path. You will enjoy that. You will. You're like man. You put yourself under a lot of like trouble, a lot of difficulty. You really. Screw down the latches. You go for it. Wow. Oh, yeah. And I love it. What they, what they love about it is are the results. Have you seen me lately? <laughs> yeah. And so they go after it. Why? They think the pain is well worth the gain. And this is, this is what we're like. As long as we have proper perspective, we will embrace it. As long as we, we have we believe it to be for our good, we can give thanks for it. If we believe that it is beneficial, that it brings blessing, that it brings reward, let's go for it. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is exhorting us to do, is to give thanks in all things. Why? Because it's all working for your good, for your great reward. So don't grumble and don't complain and don't be a whiner like the Israel was in the wilderness. That's, that's to say, yeah, I don't believe the promises of God. That's to, that's to look at your circumstances and believe that all this bad stuff is nothing but bad, 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 wah, 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 wah. Well, you can carry on in your unbelief. Carry on in your unbelief, be grumbling and complaining. And yeah, it really is bad. In a lot of ways, I pity you. I pity you if, you if you do not embrace what God has given you by faith, believing his promise, because you have no reason. You can't rejoice. You can't give thanks. You can't pray to him and in it, delight in him. You have to walk and live through life by faith in his promises. And as you do, if you're sitting here this morning and you believe the promises of God, you say yes and amen. God's word is true. And I believe, I believe that all things work together for good. I I believe that God brings them into my life and he's working them for good. I believe that he's piling up blessings for me. I believe that great will be the reward in heaven for enduring and suffering. And I believe, and that allows me to walk through and say, God is good always. Allows you say, I praise the Lord for what he's brought into my life because this is all working for good. You can only do that. You can only give thanks in every circumstance. You can only rejoice always when you believe. And to those who do believe, children of God, you now realize that, yes, I can. I have great reason to rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And in every circumstance, give thanks. Praise be to my God. But to those who don't believe, they have no reason. They, n- they will not do this. They don't get it. They reject it. And they say, that's fool-hearted. But if you, And if you don't believe, my heart breaks for you. And I pray for you, that God would grant you grace and strengthen your faith that you would lay hold of his promises. Because only then, only then will the fruit come out of this, the fruit of rejoicing, the fruit of praying, the fruit of giving thanks. That's the fruit when the root is faith. Amen. Father, we're so thankful that you've given us so much. We do thank you. We thank you for the, the good circumstances and those really bad ones. Because, Lord, we know that you've given them to us from your gracious hand for our good. Oh, give us eyes to see your promise, to believe your promise, and to look at our circumstances and be absolutely convinced and know that you're working them for good. You're working them for a greater reward. And may we rejoice always and give thanks in every circumstance. Oh, Lord, I pray for these people here this morning, for anybody sitting here who's doubting your promise, that you would strengthen their faith that you would nourish them, that you would encourage them, and that they would lay hold of the promise, fight against the unbelief, fight against it, and lay hold of your promise, and stand on it, and shout out loud, my God is working this for my good, my God is piling on the rewards, my God is doing good things, in him I praise, and in him I give thanks. Amen.